Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Well, good day. Morning, good afternoon. I don't care when it is you listen to this, but uh, I've just got up pretty early this morning. I just flown in from Singapore, and I might even talk about that a little bit later. What I was doing up in Singapore at a pretty cool uh, tech environment that I've been checking out up in Singapore the last couple of days. Um, this is my first podcast, and it's pretty cool. I'm really excited to be able to do this. Um, I write columns, I do all sorts of stuff, and I'm always being edited, and I'm sick of being edited. Well, by I keep doing that sort of stuff, but uh, this is my platform. I can say what I want. I'm going to offend people. I really don't give a shit, to be honest with you. Um, this is an opportunity for me to get a few things off my chest. Um, I'm going to give you my opinions. Um, I'm going to tell you how I think, how I read newspapers, how I try and work out what the most important things that are out there in the marketplace that I need to know about and why and uh, which institutions affect them, whose opinions I think are important, and I'm going to try and put it together, together for you every single week. That's that's it's, it's an important thing for me to do, and I really want to do this. It's been one of those things. I mean, you know, I'm 58 years of age, I'm turning 59 soon, and this is something I've been working up for about 30 years now. Um, so this podcasting stuff is really, really cool. And by the way, I'm standing here at the top of the cross. Uh, no, I wasn't out all night. As I said, I just got off an aeroplane, but it feels like I've been out all night. And I'm looking at the motor vehicles coming up here and uh, just looking down there into the beautiful part of Sydney down William Street. And I tell you what, what a great place to be. Um, and it's pretty cool being in this uh, radio studio or my own studio for the for that matter. Okay, so what is it that I want this to be about? I mean, pretty basic stuff. Um, why I'm doing this is pretty basic and what I'm going to be talking about is pretty basic, but it's basics and fundamentals that affect everything we do. So if you're an employee and you're trying to get a better job and or you want to get more money out of your employer so that you can go and buy the property you always dreamed about or so you can build up for retirement like you've always dreamed about or someone's always always told you about, this is an important podcast to listen to in my from my point of view. And I'm going to give you the fundamentals that affect the decisions around that lifestyle. If you're in small business and you're trying to work out whether you should invest in something else, whether you should employ another employee, whether or not you should be uh, looking at increasing your inventory, whether you're trying to expand your business or you want to buy another business, the same fundamental things that happen in our economy and our country and globally uh, are the decisions that you need to be thinking about as an employee that I just talked about. So I'm going to talk about how uh, the five most important things affect you. And if you're an institution, 
you're equally you're trying to either extract money from taxpayers, like you might with the tax office, or alternatively you're some other government institution. The same fundamentals apply to you in your decision making. So this is about how do I make decisions? That's what this podcast is about. And what are the important things are? What are the five important things, five important fundamentals, five things that I need to know about the decisions I'm about to make? So I want to talk about that every single week because there is something in the newspapers that is either an outcome as a result of looking at those five things or is something that will affect those five things. This week's top five. So what is it we're talking about? Well, the five things go as follows. The first one is the global economy. In other words, how are we going globally? Now, I am going to not include those countries, those zones, those regions that don't affect global economy. In other words, the emerging economies. I'm not going to be talking about those. Every now and then I will have some reference to them, but we're really talking about what's going on in the US, what's going on in Europe and what's going on in Asia and what's going on with them in aggregate. And why is that important as as a concept for me to understand and the sorts of things that flow from how the global economy is going. So why is the US interest rate important? Why is the European interest rate important? Why is what's going on in Asia and their growth important? And the global economy is a very important factor in decision-making. So we need to get a read on that every week. And, of course, every week the AFR, the Australian, you know, the Economist, the Global Economist magazine, they all talk about the global economy and aspects of the global economy, what's going on globally. The next one that's really important to us as as decision makers is commodity prices. We keep hearing about, and we see it on TV every morning, gold price. You know, what's happened with the gold price? Gone up and down. Iron ore price, gone up and down. Why is commodity prices something that we focus on in this world today? And how does that affect me as a an employee, as a humble employee who's trying to improve his his or her position in their life? So what is commodity prices and where do they fit into my part of the life if I'm a small business owner and or an employee? The next one, is, which is really important, is inflation. Now, we keep hearing about inflation. Is it 2.2%? Is it 2.25%? Who gives a shit? Is it really that important? Yes, it is. It's not so much important what's the movement from day to day, or week to week, or month to month, but what are the trends around inflation and why does, it inf- why does inflation have an effect on my decision-making? How important is inflation to me? The, the fourth one is unemployment. Now, obviously, it's an obvious one. It's a no-brainer. Unemployment means, you know, what's going on in the country. But really, let's dig de- deep, 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 deep into unemployment. Why is unemployment important to me? And what are the stories that are in the newspapers and on the TV and on the radio this week around unemployment? What are the debates? What's going What are the government saying about unemployment? And what is the employment number? What is the number that I'm looking for? And what happens if there's a variation to that number around unemployment that I'm looking for? And how does that affect my decision-making if I'm a small business owner, a medium business owner, or an employee, again, trying to improve my lot? How is unemployment in context important to me? And the final thing is, what is going on in this country around our economy? In other words, what is our government saying about our economy? What's the Reserve Bank saying about our economy? What are the commentators saying about the Australian economy as it fits into the global economy? Because that is what's going to affect me. Now, around that is this whole discussion about interest rates. And of course, interest rates affect property prices, etc. So I'm going to get into what is happening in the Australian economy and what are the stories around the Australian economy this week. Really important factors, five factors. Every week commentators are talking about it. Journalists talk about the same things all the time. What they do is they tend to specifically pick out a story about BHP or Rio or the banking sector or whatever the case may be. All of these things are outcomes as a result of looking at those five things every single time. 
and it doesn't matter whether you're reading The Economist. It's the same thing. So I think I'm trying. what I'm trying to do is drill this down and get it to be relevant to all of us. And this is the stuff that I think about every single day. And, look, I'm going to give you some views that might change from week to week. You know why? People, that doesn't mean I can't make my mind up. It just means we have to reassess all the time. I'm always reassessing these things because data changes, trends change, and you never get the trend right this week from next week to the week after. Markets don't get the trends right. Nobody gets the trends right. The trends are trends. In other words, it's a compilation of a whole lot of information being gathered and gathered each week and put into an algorithm and someone, a market, makes a decision around what that trend's doing. So each week that gets reassessed and the markets reassess it for us. I don't have to sit and do the algorithm for you. You can't do the algorithm for, for yourself. You need to know what the market's algorithm is and every week it needs to reassess. It doesn't mean you're schizophrenic and can't make a decision. Okay, let's get on with this. Okay, we're lucky. This is one of those weeks where we're blessed because we got a lot of information from the Reserve Bank this week on the 7th of April when they, after they uh, all sat down and had a chat about what they should be doing with interest rates. So on the second fundamental, it's about commodity prices. I mean, we, you know, gold price up, mine ore down. What the hell are they talking about? Well, commodity prices are important because Australia is a commodity exporter and that's important because it helps us with our terms of trade and it just basically means how much money we're receiving and compared to much, how much money we're spending, how much money we're exporting, how much product we're exporting, minus how much we're importing. That's a really important number for this country. You know, we want to make sure we've got a surplus if we possibly can on every month and every quarter and every year. And that's not always the way it works. But commodity price is one of the things that drives that because, you know, we, we export a lot of iron ore and all the other stuff that we export. What the Reserve Bank said about this week is that commodity prices are getting soft. And it's a relative gain, the soft compared to the way they were before. Now, you're going to read the newspapers a whole lot of, about a whole lot of skirmishes about, you know, Twiggy Forest at Fortescue saying that, you know, we should be uh, uh, producing more and keeping the price of uh, iron ore down. Or, or, or then there's been a discussion recently, you know, whether or not Twiggy should have said that by the ACCC. The ACCC is sort of saying that Twiggy was trying to signal to the market about them acting in concert and trying to keep commodity prices on at one level. Uh, that's a bit like watching Mark Guy fire Wally Lewis in the state of origin. It's a great thing to watch on the sideline, but it's a bloody distraction. It's not about how the game's going to go. You know, I love that. I love still talking about it. You know, uh, MG, one of my great heroes, great mate of mine, I love it. But to be honest, it's not the main game. So let's not get distracted about whether or not Twiggy said that. Look, by the hell, bloody read it. I mean, it's interesting, you know, whether Twiggy said it. And Twiggy's got a good heart of Blakey. I don't think any way – there's no way in the world it was Twiggy trying to do something that was, um, you know, non-competitive or anti-competitive and trying to upset the ACCC. Point being is that's a skirmish. Let's forget about it for the moment. Commodity prices are soft relative to where they were before, which means – what does that mean? That means big commodity producers in this country like BHP and Rio and Fortescue and all the others – they're going to invest less money into the new mines, which means they're going to invest less money in infrastructure because they can't – the feasibility doesn't make sense because they can't see the prices of the commodities continuing to grow, which is a thing that they build into their feasibility study to justify spending more capital. And if these companies aren't spending more capital, they're not means they're not borrowing more capital from overseas, which means less money is coming to this country. And if they're not spending more capital, it means they're not employing more people. And if not spending more capital, it means they're not building more infrastructure, not building ports and harbours and railways and buying trains and um, buying new tractors and um, getting uh, more contractors around the country to be sucked in to their environment and earn more and more money. So that basically means that there is a 
there is less stimulation in the, our economy as a result of the price of commodities. So that's where it becomes important for you to see what's going on on Channel 9 when they start talking about the price of gold or iron or whatever ever it is they're talking about. That's the only thing that's important to you. How does that dilute right down into your pocket? And how does that help this Australian economy? So the Reserve Bank has focused on that. Paragraph two or three of their latest uh, uh, one-page report they put out in the first of the month on 2.31, first Tuesday, they talk about commodity prices. They're not indicating growth for either global uh, companies or alternatively for this country as a global, as a region within the globe. Important. Commodity prices are soft, relatively speaking. Okay, another thing we tend to focus on in, as commentators in this country is inflation. The bottom line is you need to know the Reserve Bank likes to see in this country and other countries have the same sort of agenda, developed countries, is that we like to see inflation somewhere between the band of 2% growth annually and 3%. In other words, if the price of goods and services in this country is 100, I'm just picking a number, 100 at the end of the year, what the Reserve Bank likes to see is that same index the next year at 102 or 103. In other words, a 2 to 3% growth annually. Now, of course, that can be broken down into quarters and months. You can break it down into days and minutes if you want to, if you're smart enough, but it's 2 to 3% is the important thing. Now, our Reserve Bank has adopted that number because they think that 2 to 3% is the inflation rate which sustains a good, strong economy. That is the increase in prices of goods and services in this country in aggregate, and different weightings are given to different commodity classes and, and services, should be a 2 to 3%. So we keep hearing about inflation. The Reserve Bank is very, very focused on inflation, and inflation is at 5%, they're going to try and slow the economy down. If inflation's at 1%, they're going to try and speed the economy up. And the way they do it is through interest rates. So inflation number is critically important. If Nick is out there running his business and he thinks that everybody desperate for his product and or service, he's going to be putting his prices up like there's no tomorrow. And within his small market, he's going to inflate his prices. So what inflation is, is an indicator of the aggregate demand in the country for aggregate products and services. And if we are all super confident, we've got super amounts of money in our pocket and our wages keep going up every week and our house prices keep going up every week and we feel really, really wealthy, and as I said earlier, we're confident and there's a whole lot of indicators about confidence, then we will actually be prepared to pay more money for Nick's goods and services and as a country, we'll be more prepared to pay higher prices for the goods and services of this country, which is a thing that drives inflation up. And the Reserve Bank will act on that if it gets out of control. Equally, if it's around the other way, if we feel so bloody terrible that we've got no wealth, our house hasn't gone up, um, our share portfolio hasn't gone up, and our wages haven't gone, in fact, have gone down, or if we lost our job, we're not we're going to put our hands on our pocket, we're not going to spend any money, which means we could have deflation. Inflation could go backwards. So it's a really important number, 2 to 3%, and we're going to keep hearing about it. And you're going to keep hearing about it for as long as, as, long as my ass points to the ground, you're going to be hearing about it, okay? So get your head around why is inflation important. The CPI is the same number. Consumer price index. It's the index of prices in this country for consumers. Don't worry about how it's calculated. I'll get into how it's calculated on, on another podcast. But it's really important. What are the inputs? But it's really important to get your head around the general concept of inflation, CPI, increases in the price for goods and services in this country. Right now, the Reserve Bank has already said 
it's within the range. Now, the CPI number, by the way, is done by the Australian Bureau of Statistics and it comes out quarterly and it comes out, so for the, for, say, for example, the June quarter will come out in July and it comes out around 21, 22 days at the end of the quarter. So around the 22nd of July, you're going to get the June number. Around the 22nd of April, you're going to get the March number and so on. So we don't have the CPI number. The Reserve Bank doesn't get it before anybody else. Everybody gets it the same day. So if you want to tune in, you know, get on the Australian Bureau of Statistics website, you can be the first in Australia to know if you're the first person to look on their website when they release a number. They give you a a read on inflation in this country. And by the way, you know, the calculation, it's a quantitative analysis. It's a sample. It's they don't go and get the price of every good and every service in this country to make the decision about where inflation is. They get like a sample and they extrapolate that into a number, a mathematical number. And sometimes they have to adjust it because it's not always correct. So 2 to 3% is where we want to be. Right now, we're traveling at just above 2%. Now, that generally means that the Reserve Bank's going to put keep a hold on interest rates while, that, while, while that's the case. Or if it starts to dip below 2%, they're going to try and stimulate the economy because that means there's not enough aggregate demand in the country. And they can mean, by stimulating, that just means they're going to reduce interest rates again. So we're in – Reserve Bank said in the most recent announcement um, this week – that inflation's, uh, you know, within the band. Um, it's, in other words, not something they need to be concerned about, which means they're not something you need to act on, which is probably the reason why they didn't change interest rates this week. I just got a nudge by my producer. By the way, it's my first time I've ever met him. He's a pretty cool guy. Um, he just said to me, what the fuck do you mean by aggregate? And I don't mind saying fuck because I'm allowed to say it. This is my show. Um, aggregate demand, aggregate supply. Aggregate just means the aggregation or the pulling together of every single bit of demand in this country. In other words, it's a, it's a mathematical sum. It's a fiction, by the way, because some statistician makes it up. What they do is they go and say, what do we think the demand of every single Australian is at the moment to buy sneakers? And they do this for every single category of every single thing that gets sold in this country. So they do it for sneakers, they do it for holidays, they do it for communications, for mobile phones, they do it for house renting, they do it for clothes, they do it for food, they do it for beer, they do it for cigarettes, they do it for everything, okay? And they sit around there with all their, their, their hats on little green shades on the front and they've got their computer calculator out there and they're trying to work out what is the change in every single service and product in this country, and they, what they do then is they add them all up and that gives you the aggregate. Now, as I said, it's a fiction because there's no way in the world to work out, you know, what's going on every shoe price and every other thing, every other business in this country for, uh, for products and services. But what they do is they work out a mathematical formula that gives them a 95% confidence level that they got the number right. Now, they might only sample 1,000 people in, various, in, in all the categories altogether, but they've got to start somewhere. And that's why the Australian Bureau of Statistics is not an exact science, but it's as close as you're going to get to an exact science. There's a lot of debate whether the numbers are right or wrong. It's irrelevant for us. That's a bit, again, like watching Wally Lewis and Mark Guy have a fight on the sideline. Point is, people make decisions off the back of what the Australian Bureau of Statistics produce. And those decisions will affect what you and me are doing in our business and in our career. And those decisions around interest rates, and those decisions affect property prices, and those decisions um, affect people's confidence levels, and those people's confidence levels affect, again, how people interact with me as a business. If they've got no confidence, they're not going to buy my product. So that's what aggregate's about. That's what's important. It sounds like a pretty difficult word. It's just a mathematical formula. It's a fiction, but you've got to know how it's all calculated. The fourth 
benchmark, the fourth important bit of data, the fourth fundamental that I've been talking about is unemployment. Look, we, we tend to look at unemployment as a scary thing. Um, unemployment percentage, uh, sorry, unemployment is uh, represented or calculated as a percentage of the, the total population of those people employed. Uh, right now, the unemployment number is about 6.3%. Look, it doesn't matter if it's 63 6.4, 6.25. I mean, it could be wrong. It could be 6.31. I mean, it just moves around a little bit. The important point is here is how is unemployment as a number, as a percentage of total employment, compared to what it was last year, the year before, and the year before? And when's our worst periods of unemployment? When have we had the worst recessions in this country? Well, generally speaking, when we've had the worst recessions in this country, um, unemployment's sort of been up closer to 10%. Unemployment at 6.3 means that there is a trend to there being less people employed in this country. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean I'm going to lose my job. It doesn't mean that Nick's going to lose his job. It means, but what it does mean is it means there's a time that you don't necessarily go and start asking for a real big increase in wages because you might be one of those people who get punted, mainly because the institution you work for or the small business you work for might be sort of saying, look, you know, you know, things aren't that great out there in the economy. Our revenue is not as good as it used to be. We need to cut a bit of our costs. One way we can cut costs is cut out our employees and or not give people pay rises. So unemployment is important to you as an indicator of for your decision-making about what you're going to do. Should I change jobs because I think I'm too good for this job and I'm going to get a better one? Well, maybe not at the moment because if I've got a job, better the devil I know than the devil I don't because if you go to a new job and something goes wrong in the economy as a result of the indicator that an unemployment number is telling us at the moment, in other words, the economy sort of falls on its head, um, generally speaking, if you're new in a job, you're the first one out again. So that rule of FIFO, first in, first out, last in, first out, you might be the the last person into the new job, the new business, might be the first person out. You need to know what the company's policy is about who they, uh, what happens when things go bad. Do they get rid of the first person or the last person in or how does it all work? And if you've already got a job and you're doing well in it, you might as well stay in it when your unemployment number is growing, especially if you just bought a property and just borrowed some money, which is generally speaking what most people in this country have done. So you've got to be very careful as an employee to understand how relevant the unemployment number is to you. And generally speaking, the unemployment number is a good indicator of how employers think because they're the ones who do the employment. So how do, what do they think? And they're the people who determine your outcomes, whether you get a wage increase or whether you've got a job or not. And if you're in small business, Unemployment is equally important to you because what that, that does is that tells you who's got money to buy the goods and services that you're supplying. So if unemployment is getting higher and higher and higher, it might not be a good time to go and buy a new business. It might not be a good time to invest in your more money in your current business. It might be good not a good time to go and borrow money to invest in your new business because when you're borrowing money to invest in your business, you're having to do a mental calculation as to the interest that the bank's going to charge you and you've got to say, okay, what's the new revenue I'm going to earn as a result of this investment? And as a result of unemployment, you might not get more revenue. So if unemployment is trending high, which it currently is, it's a time to be cautious. And I said right at the beginning of this, this is a time to be conservative and cautious given what we're hearing from the Reserve Bank. Unemployment right now is just a simple indicator of whether or not we should, in the decision-making process we should be considering leaving a job or asking for a pay rise or giving cheek to our boss or not turning up on time for work or not being prepared to do the extra hours everyone else in the office is doing. It's an indicator of whether you should be doing that or not. And it's also an indicator of whether you should be borrowing more money or expanding your business based on what you consider will be the aggregate demand for your product and service in the next 12 months or the next two years. So that's where unemployment becomes important. And by the way, our institutions think unemployment is important, particularly the Reserve Bank, because Reserve Bank has in their charter, their mandate, 
to look at unemployment as something uh, that they have to manipulate interest rates around every time they meet. And right now, they don't like where unemployment is. They don't like where it's trending, and which is the reason why one of the reasons why they've been reducing interest rates so many times and for, so many times over the last couple of years and for such a long period. So interest rates are low to some extent because of the unemployment trend. And if the unemployment trend number trends higher, you'll see interest rates come back even further. And by the way, don't think that's a great thing in interest rates coming down. Interest rates, when they're super low, which they are at the moment, generally um, underpins that there's a problem. Everyone's sort of rejoicing from the rooftops. Oh, interest rates really low. It's the lowest interest rates we've had in 40 years, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, you know what? That usually means there's a bloody problem. Um, and there's a problem out there that we don't know about. Maybe the Reserve Bank knows about it. I don't know. But they're starting to all talk themselves into there being a problem. And as a result of that, when we start telling ourselves there's a problem, it, a bloody problem arises. Let me tell you that. So unemployment, important in terms of decision-making. In conclusion, what does this all, all this mean? I mean? The fifth one is how the Australian economy is going. In other words, what's the Reserve Bank going to do with interest rates? Um, right now, the interest rate environment is very low. As I said earlier, a low interest rate environment relative to where we've been in the last 40 years, generally speaking, indicates that there is a need to stimulate the economy because the economy is on its ass and flat. That's where we are. We're on our ass and we're flat and we have, as a result of that, particularly low interest rates. That means the amount of money we pay to our lender, to our bank or to something like my business to buy a property is going to be lower than it ever has been before. And equally, if I'm fortunate enough to have money to put on deposit with a bank or a a deposit taker, I'm going to get low returns on that money again. And bear in mind, 60% of the economy has money in deposit and 40% of the economy borrows money. That means there are 60% of the people in this country are getting extraordinarily low returns on the money they got invested with the bank. As a result of that, people then start to chase other classes of assets with higher returns. And one of the classes of assets that people are taking their money out of the bank to chase is property. And this chasing, this demand for these asset classes, both by first-home buyers and by our, our investment market, is actually pushing house prices, apartment prices, property prices, generally speaking, up. It is it is the low interest rates, but it's actually the, the chasing of yield by 60% of the economy, the chasing of returns by 60% of the economy. The Reserve Bank is telling us that they don't mind this house price increases. They're trying to keep a check on it. They're talking to all the regulators about how they're going to manage the house prices not getting out of control, but the Reserve Bank's not particularly interested in any particular asset class, whether it's a share market or house prices. What they're interested in is stimulating the economy to have sustainable growth and good quality inflation environment, 2 to 3%. So the Reserve Bank has decided on the last occasion not to do anything, but they have also indicated their preparedness to reduce rates again. Now, let's not be jumping from the roofs with joy because they're going to reduce the interest rates again because that's only going to help 40% of the economy. 60% of the economy is going to get less returns because they're the people with the money in deposit. And what that means is that there's a problem potentially in the economy. So be careful if you're going out there to borrow money and be careful if you're thinking about changing jobs. From Mark's Mind. 
Um, as I said earlier, I've just come back from Singapore and I, I visit Singapore a lot because I'm the chairman of a company called Teaser Limited, which is a global technology company. And one of our clients is Singapore Post. Now, Singapore Post is not just your average stamp seller. Um, they are the most profitable postal organization in the world. Bear in mind, there's only 5 million people live in Singapore and it's like six kilometers wide and 10 kilometers long or something. Um, how the hell they can be the most profitable postal organization in the world, it's very difficult to understand. But what they are is the, probably the most efficient logistics company in the world, particularly in the Asian region. And what Singapore Post is brilliant at is technology. So what I was over there in Singapore doing was talking to our clients. And so I got to meet the chairman of Singapore Post and, the, and I often meet the CEO of Singapore Post. Um, it's a publicly listed company in Singapore. As I said, they make $1.5 billion a year. So that's a pretty significant amount of money. Alibaba owns 10% of Singapore Post. So that sort of gives you a bit of an idea what's going on in the region. They're a massive e-commerce environment. Now, I wanted to talk to you about the importance of e-commerce um, and the thing, this concept called the Internet of Things. Now, the there is a concept called the Internet of Things. It's IoT, which is there was a big conference in Singapore this week on this, and you know my business was um, had a display there, and we got asked to speak at this conference. IoT is this concept of connectivity. Now, let's forget about it's Internet of Things or IoT because that's a bit of a fancy word. Um, connectivity basically means what are the changes in technology that are changing how things connect in the world. And what effect will that have on the global economy and how the hell can I make some money out of it? (laughs) Or how the hell I should be somehow concerned about it or interacting with it? That's what's important for everybody. It is probably the, the, the single biggest change in our world that we will see for the next 20 years, connectivity. Now, connectivity comes about as a result of the advances in the smart device, your iPhone, your Samsung, et cetera, and how they connect person to person and thing to thing. So I'll go back 150 years. An example of changing in connectivity which had a commercial impact on the world's economy is the introduction of railways. Railways connected place to place. So the US had its biggest growth in GDP between 1850 and 1880 or 1885 as a result of the boom in the railways. And the railways basically was able to take people from one place to another place to seek employment and also allowed commodities, silver, for example, to be mined in a silver mining town and be then transported back to you know, the east coast of the United States or wherever it is that's going to be sent to India from. So this connectivity of railways connected parts of America, which gave, which gave rise to a huge boom. Now, what the internet does is it connects machine to machine or person to person. So I can trade overnight with somebody by using the internet, either in information or data, or I can be buying commodities, I can buy buying shares. And as a result of that, that creates a commercial boom. So the internet in itself is an example of connectivity. It's not railways, but it's the same concept. It's connecting electronically. The internet of things is a connectivity. It's an it's a evolution of the internet. It's the connection between thing to thing. In other words, a mobile phone uh, monitoring someone's heart or a mobile phone being used to monitor a band which monitors somebody's diabetic, diabetes, or alternatively, a mobile phone being used to open up a locker remotely for a cons- customer to take something out that he bought on the internet or she bought on the internet. 
So the Internet of Things is something you need to become familiar with. McKinsey's, the, the, you know, the global consulting firm, and I'm sure everyone else is right now, IBM's written something about this, have lots of reports on the IoT. Google it. IoT is a very important concept we all need to understand. It's going to affect everybody's life. And there is conferences and um, expos being held all around the world literally every month about this concept of the IoT Internet of Things. Singapore is one of the most advanced countries in the world in adopting new technologies. And Singapore Post, our client, is one of the most advanced companies in the world in adopting new technologies. And that's one of the reasons why it adopts this Internet of Things concept and probably one of the reasons why it's a global leader in um, postal services. Probably the reason why it makes $1.5 billion a year compared to, say, Australia Post, which has a population of five times that of Singapore, makes nowhere near what Singapore Post makes. Because Singapore Post is ahead of the game in relation to the Internet of Things. It's a big deal. It's evolving very fast. It's not fully developed. It's evolving very fast. And there are things we need to know about how we fit into that environment. IoT is a big concept. Technology is a bigger concept than we've ever seen before. So get on the game. Entrepreneurs Insight. I'm lucky. I keep getting asked by big companies, a lot of times global companies, um, and I do it in all places around the world, what are the key components I'm looking for in terms of hiring somebody? Um, I guess if you're a small business owner, that's important because, you know, I'll be able to share with you what I look for. Equally, if you're an employee, you know what you've got to promote to the employer when you're trying to be hired. The thing that I think works best for a business to run efficiently and to actually achieve its goals in terms of profitability and just general cultural goals is that a quality that I'm looking for in a new employee or a current employee is do they think like they're a proprietor? Now, I'm not saying that they have to think like they own the business. I don't mean they've got to be arrogant and cocky, but you know, a bit of cockiness helps. I want them to think as I think. I don't want them to think about what time they start work and what time they finish work or what time the next holiday is and when the and how long for. I want them to – and I'm not necessarily saying I want to – I don't want to be a slave driver. I don't want them to be slavish in the way they go about their work either. I want them to have some fun. Uh, but I want them to think like a proprietor. And a proprietor thinks like this. What is it I am doing here in the first place? What is the product I'm selling and or service I'm selling? And who is my audience? And what does my audience want? And how do I best get it to them? That's what a proprietor thinks because he's looking at the bottom line all the time and making sure he gets a return on his money. Therefore, his employees must have the same view. There's no point the employer trying to drive that thought process of being the proprietor. In other words, what do my customers want? And the employee is thinking, oh, well, I don't start work till 9 o'clock. So I'll give you a good example. Work in a coffee shop. Coffee shops there to sell coffee, make people feel happy first thing in the morning because we know we're either got a hangover or we're tired. We just got an aeroplane. We're just having a shit day and we need a cup of coffee. Um, so the employee shouldn't be thinking at, oh, I don't start here in this coffee shop at 8 a.m. when the guy turns up at 7.30 and you say to, and the employee says to the guy, listen, my, my job starts at 8 a.m. I'm sorry, I can't serve you a cup of coffee at 7.30. The job is I'm here to sell coffee. So if you turn up at 7.30, if I'm there and the joint's open, I'm going to sell you a cup of coffee because that's how a proprietor thinks. That's how you want your employee to think. So really, really important when you employ people, you want people who think like a proprietor. So when you're asking questions, you've got to somehow weave that into your interview. 
when you're looking at their CV, you've got to sort of get a sense of do they understand how businesses are run and what proprietors think about it and why it's important, by the way, if they work for McDonald's at one stage because that actually is important. They may have been to university, they have a master's degree, a first-class honours degree, and they may never have worked anywhere in any environment. Generally speaking, that probably means they haven't got a bloody clue what the hell it's all about. So it's important that you have someone with a nice, broad experience of understanding how proprietors think. Ask Mark. Tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris. M-A-R-K-B-O-U-R-I-S. Okay, it's time for Q&A. These are some questions that get sent to me on Twitter and or, and or to my email um, address. Um, one of the ones I got today is, what is my biggest asset, my products or me? Well, I keep getting told by young people that I've got no assets. Well, a lot, a lot of bullshit. If you're 20 years of age, you've got an asset. Your asset is your ability to work. Because your ability working on you, let's say 50 grand a year. And if I can earn 50 grand a year and if I'm renting a property, let's say my property down the road is a $50,000 a year rental. Based on normal capitalization rates, that property's worth half a million bucks. So that property's worth half a million dollars. You as an individual, if you can earn $50,000 a year by your personal exertion, by just working, you're worth half a million bucks. So you have an asset of half a million dollars. And by the way, the younger you are, the bigger your asset is and the longer the period you've got to have that asset. Whereas if, you know, if you're 70 – Obviously, you know, that asset's not worth as much because it's not going to last as long. So don't come and tell me I've got no assets. You've got the asset to work hard. That's a really important asset. Now, as you get older and you get some other assets like houses and, and or cash, there'll be a mix. You have to get a, a fair mix. But never, ever underestimate how valuable your ability to work is. And by the way, I often say it, your ability to work is an honour and it's something that's bestowed upon us. It's not something that should be lightly taken you should really honour that because some people never, ever get the ability to work. In this great country of ours, we all can get a job if we really want one, just that we're too choosy and often times we say, I don't do that job, I won't do that job. You do the job that's put in front of you that is available for you and work your way up. That's the way to look at it. The next question I've got is, uh, you said be fearless, not reckless. What is the difference? Well, there's a fine line between fearlessness and recklessness. Fearless means that I have no fear of the decisions I'm making because the decisions I'm making are based on fundamentals. And I just went through it, you know, I just spent, you know, 40 minutes talking about what the fundamentals are. I am fearless in what I do. I, in other words, I don't harbor fear because I know the basic things that I need to know and I'm watching them every single week. And I'm trying to share this with you so you can equally be fearless. That means you're not scared of what your decision-making position is. To be reckless means you don't understand what you're doing. In other words, you're making decisions. As I said earlier, you're just reading something. You don't even know the context of what it is, and you're making decisions to buy a house or to improve the house or to borrow money or to reinvest in your business when you don't know what the fundamentals are doing. That's reckless. Reckless means you don't understand the basic fundamentals about our economic environment. Fearless means you have a good sense and a good understanding of your environment and you're making decisions around it. Big difference, easy to be one, and it's easy to be the other two. And the blokes are reckless, they're the ones that fall in a heap. The blokes are fearless, generally speaking, they're the people everybody talks about as being a hero. My next question is, uh, Mark, the early starts, long days with no breaks in sight worry me. How do I know if I'm cut out for this? Well, if you're asking the fucking question, you're not cut out for it. Next. Mark. How important do you think family support is? 
mean, I can't believe that person asked me that question last, that, the last question. But anyway, it makes me so fucking angry. It really pisses me off. That, that's, just a, that's a stupid question. Anyway, family, family, family. Important is – family is really important. Well, just not just necessarily just family, just support base. Who is your support base? I mean, by the way, choose your family. Choose your support base. Um, but if you're lucky enough to have a family that supports you, it's incredibly important. Now, whether that's your, 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 your brothers and sisters support you or your mother and father supports you or your wife supports you or your partner supports you, even your grandparents, it doesn't really matter. You need support. You can't be one out. It's impossible to be one out there in the marketplace. It's too complex. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a daily changing game. Um, it does your head in. It gives you fucking brain damage, trying to keep abreast with everything. Um, you work long hours. Um, you're tired. You know, it's great just to come home, for example, someone there to help you out and have a bag to, have a whinge to, or if you're excited about something, um, talk about what's exciting because you've got to get off your chest. For me, I've got podcasts. I'm getting off my chest this way. And by the way, I would hope that as over time, as I build these things up, everyone, all you guys become my family. So you start to support, you start to talk to me, I give you support back, I give you answers. It's this interaction, this communication is what's important. It doesn't matter if it's necessarily your family, but it's the ability to have someone to talk to and someone to share your ideas with and evolve your ideas with and also your wins and your losses. So that's where family is really important in terms of being successful and sustainable. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. Okay, we live in a world of data and information and uh, you know, new feeds of information and I guess what this is all about is trying to tell you what's important what's not important because you know, if you sit down and you just try and examine all the information, you're going to go mental. Um, so what I'm trying to do is distill what's important to you. So what's coming up? What's coming up in the next couple of weeks? Well, the first thing that's coming up is the NAB business confidence figure for March. Um, they come out on Tuesday, the April 14th. I went, we'll go right back to how, where I started with all this stuff. Business confidence is really important because it is actually one of the drivers of aggregate demand. We remember what aggregate demand is, the demand of every product and service in this country put in a mathematical formula. So what drives demand? What do, why do consumers whether they're business consumers or trade consumers or just generally consumers at retail, what is it that makes them make decisions? It's their confidence. What builds confidence is their feeling of wealth and also their confidence of being able to keep their job. So the confidence number that various institutions produce, and in this case NAB, which seems to be one of the most popular ones and is one of the best put together, um, comes out on the April the 14th. And it's a monthly survey of business confidence and based on telephone survey of about 350 small and medium and large size Australian companies. That number comes out all the time. It's an important number for us to get ahead around. You're going to find a whole lot of commentary in the newspapers about it when it does come out. The next one is the Westpac Consumer Confidence Index. It's another good one. And that comes out the next day after the NAB one. It's actually good to compare the two. Um, I have a great respect for the Westpac economists. I do for the NAB economists as well. But uh, uh, Westpac economists have been getting a lot of the calls right over the last couple of years. It'd be interesting to compare the two confidence reads between NAB and Westpac. One comes out one day, 14th, one comes out the 15th. Really important. Again, this confidence read comes uh, gives us a sense of um, the, the Australian level of demand, aggregate demand that should follow. Okay. Uh, the next number is unemployment figure. comes out for March is released on Thursday, April the 17th. The unemployment number obviously comes from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Um, we're looking for what would be great is to get a reduction in the unemployment number. In other words, to get it around about 6.2. By the way, 6.2 doesn't mean that 6.2% of the economy is unemployed. 
it, because, you know, full employment technically in this country is around 5% because there is 5% of the country who will never be employed. So we're really looking at somewhere between 5% and above. Anything below 5%, it's sort of rarely happens. It's sort of impossible. I don't think we've got around 4.9% unemployment during a rural super boom times. But there are a lot of people who never be employed for a whole lot of reasons, you know, the between jobs, et cetera. So the number is, the important bit is the difference between 5% and the 6.2, that 1.2%, that, that, that move. So the number of un- the unemployment has been sitting around 6.3. The next number comes out in April, uh, mid to late April. Um, what the Reserve Bank would be hoping for is a 6.2. What the economy is looking for is a 6.2 or at least no movement above 6.3. But look out for that number in April. Uh, the unemployment number, and by the way, that comes on Australian Bureau of Statistics. Whilst there won't be any actual real data around property prices, I think what's really important in the next couple of weeks, we've got to look at property prices. It's a huge topic at the moment. All the governments are debating about it. By the way, these are all Mark Guy versus uh, uh, Wally again, um, you know, because this is a great debate and politicians love gr- uh, debating about things that we already know about. Property prices, we should be monitoring that all the time. We should be not only talking to our neighbours to find out what their property price is doing, what the house down the road sold for, et cetera. We should be looking at what's happening in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth. We should be looking on a national point of view. Just get your head around this. National changes in property prices is a average. It doesn't mean that's what's you're going to happen to your place in Ashfield or your place in Essendon or your place in um, uh, Brisbane or, or your place in um, you know some part of Perth. Guildford, it doesn't mean that's what your house price is doing. Really important. It's an average. If you really want to drill down, you've got to find out what's going on in your local area to find out what your asset price is doing. So you might have data that's coming out from your local real estate agent. There might be local council records to give you what the house prices are being, what the house prices are doing in your particular area. That's what you need to know. And that's a sort of dynamic thing. And that bit of information is always available for you if you go and look for it. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au. First podcast. I hope you're enjoying it so far. I've had a bit of uh, a bit of fun with this. It's, uh, it's, to be honest, it wears you out a little bit. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm ranting on a little bit, but it's been fun. Um, I'm enjoying disseminating what I see and what information I see in the newspapers each week and what I hear about on the radio and what I see on TV and also sharing you what, what I might have uh, found out in my travels and, and or in my exposure to the various organisations I talk, around, talk to in this country. Um, I think it's really important to get into an unedited environment. Unfortunately, everything we read and hear at the moment is edited. Unfortunately, we, everything we read and hear by journalists and commentators is around what they think is popular and what people need to know. In other words, popularity. What I'm trying to do here is go a different direction and give you what I think you need to know and try and get away from all the clutter and all the momentum and try and pick out of that. Just pick out what's important for us. So I am look forward to talking to you next week. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>